This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagelow, your host. And today we are going to have as our guest, uh, Rihanna Milne, who is a certified clinical trauma professional. And she's also a global life and relationship coach. Rihanna is a pretty amazing lady. She's got a lot of experience in a lot of areas. She's a best-selling author and is a host of a podcast, Alexa's Daily Brief, and a global radio show on boldbravemedia.com called Lessons in Life and Love. She's an educational speaker, a a certified trauma and addictions professional, and is a licensed mental health counselor for over 19 years in Palm Beach County, Florida. She is also a life and dating coach for the docuseries Radical Dating, Finding Lasting Love Over 40. Rihanna specializes in those who've had past childhood, dating, or relationship trauma and offers one-on-one VIP coaching and online virtual coaching programs for both singles and couples in her lifeandlovetrainingacademy.com. And just absolutely wonderful to have you with us today, Rihanna. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for asking me to be a part of it. So tell us about your work as a life, love, and relationship coach. And how did you get there? I mean, how did... Okay. I took the traditional route. I got a triple master's in applied clinical and counseling psychology in year 2000. Started my own practice called Therapy by the Sea in New Jersey, outside of Atlantic City, where I was living. And was going along that route. I was always more of a coach than a counselor. And by 2009 and 10, I wanted to be certified as a coach. So I went to RCI, Relationship Coaching Institute, and got certified for couples and singles in both life and love coaching. And I wanted to put together a very viable educational program. So my book, Live Behind Your Dreams, From Fear and Doubt to Personal Power, Purpose, and Success, came out. And then Love Beyond Your Dreams, Break Free of Toxic Relationships to Have the Love You Deserve. That one went up to number one on Amazon and Couples Therapy and Women in Spirituality. And then they were the cornerstones that I wrote then, 150-page notebook, one for singles, one for couples. So it is very much an interactive coaching program uh, based on a lot of research in that process. Um, I also was married to someone I adored who I found out had something really massive going on within him. It was nothing that I learned in my master's program. So I started studying uh, a lot of different alternative psychotherapy methods and came across ACOA, which was the tip of the iceberg. That stands for adult child of an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of other things going on more than just what was described as ACOA. And then I discovered the childhood traumas, came up with my own childhood trauma checklist, which is 10 things that occur during childhood that impact you as an adult in life and love things that go on within your personality that can really sabotage relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's how I became a specialist in that and uh, was really into it and went on to be certified then as a trauma professional. So is that different than the adverse childhood experiences study? Yes. Um, They came up with some, I was really happy to see that come out of Kaiser Permanente group out of San Diego 
uh, where they looked at over 17,000 people and they really equated how early adverse events, they called it, in childhood, I tend to call them traumas, uh, impacted adults later in life in health. Mm -hmm. So diabetes and fibromyalgia, Epstein-Barr virus. So it's a very fascinating study. Mm -hmm. And uh, that actually came out, I discovered it came out after I'd written my books and everything else and was doing my trauma work. But they don't talk about love in there. And mine's all about love and relationships. Right. <laughs> so right. I was hoping they would. And it's like, it's still a great study, but it really does not go into the interpersonal relationships of what right. occurs with those that have had trauma. And something in their ACE study um, let's say a parent's incarcerated. Yes, that's under my family trauma, mm -hmm. but they didn't have bullying, which I put under personal trauma. Right. And that also could have been born with a medical issue or felt different. You didn't fit in. So being that I worked in the schools also as a SAC counselor, student assistance counselor with kids in trauma since 2004, I found that that really had a big relationship on friendships and success in life and feeling either good or great about yourself or really poor about yourself. And these kids came from traumatic homes. So right. in my checklist, trauma number seven is all about bullying, feeling different, not fitting in, being diagnosed, maybe ADHD, and that's not even on their list. Um, yeah. Another one on my list would be under family trauma, loss of home by flood, fire, natural disasters. Mm -hmm. That's not on their list. Right. Mine has school shootings, mass shootings, because again, working with kids of trauma, I have different things on my list that I saw firsthand as a counselor in the schools and I worked with grades kindergarten all the way through college. So mm -hmm. our lists are a little bit different and some things are similar. Well, it looks like it'd be really amazing if you could somehow, you know, get the, the CDC to just put those two together and use them both because I've noticed with the adverse childhood experiences study that there are some things missing. Like you said, homelessness is not mentioned and mm -hmm that has become such a large thing for kids in schools. And, you know, yeah. it, it's good to know that you've got this, this childhood trauma and this is, it's just like childhood trauma plus your age equals heart disease. You know, it, it's right. nice that they have that, but um, it's better. I think if you start with the relationships because we are social animals, we don't, we don't normally do well when we're in isolation and, excuse me, and a lot of these um, traumas that we experience make us that we want to isolate ourselves or, or other people isolate us by shunning us. So I, right. Another bit difference, they only mention street drugs or alcohol for uh, under addictions. Right. Now, I'm a LCADC, Licensed Certified Drug and Alcohol Addictions Counselor. Uh, I worked in rehabs with women from the prison system in Atlantic City and then with adolescents also. So there's a lot more addictions. I name 11 of them in my list. Wow. So, you know, the differences to me are huge that I wouldn't want to combine it. Mine's just called the Childhood Trauma Checklist by Rihanna Milne. That's it. And everyone that applies to speak with me has to fill that out. Either it's a simple yes and no, and it's very easy to understand. And that gives me the first step of trying to understand whether they're struggling now as, a life, as an adult in both life or love. <laughs> I'm thinking of a list of people that I want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Whether they want to or not, they need to talk to you. <laughs> so, um, so how does that, 
it uh, hold, how do these traumas hold them back from having a good connection with other people in relation? Well, perhaps it'd be best if I can go into what the 10 traumas are. And a lot of times when people listen to a show or my interviews, they like to write them down because I do offer for people to meet with me at the end. And I will ask how many of the 10 traumas did you have? Okay. And they will be surprised because most of us, even when I was uncovering this, I saw the traumas in my ex, but I didn't see any in myself until I dug deeper. Okay. And that's why my checklist came a little bit deeper than what I was reading in the research because I had to identify what in myself was attracting me to this type of a guy, right? Right. So I had to yes. my own responsibility somewhere and I had to like figure that out. So get a piece of paper and pen, and I tell people write three long columns on that paper. The first column you put me, the mm -hmm. second column you put partner, so it could be a current partner or an ex-partner, mm -hmm. the one you struggled with, and the third column would be parent. And then mm -hmm. you, as I go through the list, you could put mom, dad, or both under that category, because the Kaiser study proves that childhood trauma does go through the generations. Right. So that, you know, again, I do use your research because I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> it's uh -huh. just our list is a little different. Okay. So again, when I'm going through the trauma checklist, I do want people to think this is not about blame or shame. We're not looking to blame your mom and dad at this point in your life. You know, they did the best that they could. They came probably from some trauma aspects or the generations are very different as mm -hmm. we grow up. So it's not about blaming anyone. And it's not about feeling shame or embarrassment about it. We're just looking at these things as a fact now because we can't go back and change our past, but we have to look at them and acknowledge it so we can change today and our future, right? And as a coach, um, I do wear all three hats, a psychotherapist, a trauma professional, and then the coach takes you from where you are today and propels you forward. Mm -hmm. So here we go with the 10. Okay. And, uh, again, just jot them down. If they do apply to you, just put the check mark. So number one is addiction. So as we briefly said, yes, drugs and alcohol, but there's also sex, meaning your parent was a cheater, porn, eating, spending, hoarding, gambling, gaming, TV watching, workaholism. Now there's an 11 addictions right there. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, gaming just went into the DSM-4 as an addiction, an official addiction, but I've treated kids with that for many years that had right. it... Uh, as they were growing up. So those are 11 ideas around addiction. I'm sure there's more. Number two is verbal abuse. Now we all know the yelling, screaming, but that is either if you witness mom and dad yelling and screaming or came towards you as well. Mm -hmm. Verbal abuse can also be verbal put downs, telling you you're not good enough, you'll never amount to anything. Stonewalling, which means if they're mad at you, they don't talk to you for several hours or a couple of days. Mm -hmm. or um, never hearing the words I love you, never feeling verbally validated or given compliments. Mm -hmm. They're always trying to please them to hear something good. These all form all under my definition of verbal. Okay, number three is emotional abuse and neglect. And I know in one of the studies I've read that even if you were a working mom and nine to fiver and your kids came home at three o'clock, let themselves in, do their homework, they were still alone which in our generation we call latchkey kids. <laughs> and we would check on them, you know, you're home okay, and this and that, but that was a form of neglect yes. um, in some of the research, okay? So they could be um, adapted, adapt, like anxious moods because of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next one would be physical abuse, rape, or molestation. And that could have occurred either inside or outside of the home. Um, that's pretty 
straightforward. The physical abuse is either, you know, rape or beatings of any kind. Mm-hmm. Next one is uh, abandonment. And I define two types of abandonment. There's fault abandonment where the parent just goes off. You know, you don't see them again, even after divorce. They break their promises to see you. They don't show up. They're not dependable. That's all their fault. They could control that. A no-fault abandonment, which is something I've defined, is if a parent happens to die early. Yeah, okay. Not their fault, but there's still a big feeling of abandonment in the child. Um, If your parent goes off to war, or like me, if your parent goes off to work a lot and they're on the road. Mm -hmm. I remember asking my mom a lot, when dad's coming home, when's daddy coming home? My mom would be angry raising five kids on her own. Well, I don't know. And she didn't. But many years later, we found out my dad was FBI and CIA. So he couldn't tell us when he'd be home coming and going. Um, But it was, I remember feeling a little disturbed about that. And that is stress trauma in the brain and the body. Right. So that's a no fault abandonment because that's how he supported the family. Okay, the next one would be if you were part of adoption, foster care, or you needed to go live with other families because your parents couldn't take care of you. Mm-hmm. I could even be grandma or aunts um, just because your primary parents could not. The next one is number seven is personal trauma. Like I said, that's one of the most popular ones. You felt different growing up. You were teased or bullied. You might have been an overweight kid or an underweight kid. Um, maybe had a medical issue like asthma and couldn't participate in gym classes like everybody else or diagnosed ADHD or oppositional defiant. Some reason you felt different and you didn't quite fit in. Number eight would be sibling trauma. This is if your sibling was born with complications and your parents had to give them more time or they bullied you or most often you perceive them to be the golden child, the favorite. So they could have been either more attractive, um, more intelligent, or the athletic star in the family where mom and dad were always doting over them and complimenting them, and they, you just feel like you couldn't measure up. Okay, next one is family trauma, but from the Kaiser list, there was community trauma, so I brought that one into number nine. Family trauma is if you, tra- if you moved a lot, let's say our military families in the U.S., they move every two four years, and then the kids have to go into different schools each time. Um, If you grow up in poverty or in dangerous environments and you didn't feel safe, um, again, the school shootings and mass shootings of parents incarcerated, I put it under that category. Mm -hmm. Losing home by flood, fire, mortgage crises. A lot of people were thrown out of their homes at that time. And then the last one is mental health issues in mom or dad. The two most difficult, I would say, are borderline and bipolar. Bipolar is manic depressive. So depression can come out as anger, checking out emotionally, uh, extreme fatigue. Manic, a lot of people think that's a good one, aren't they? That's when they're high and happy. Well, no, not necessarily. That could be a gambling spree or a spending spree or an eating binge. That's a manic phase. Mm-hmm. And then borderline, I describe as I love you, I hate you. So like when they're good, they're great. And when they're bad, they're horrid and you don't ever know what you're going to get. These people have fast trigger anger and explode at the littlest things where most people would not get upset over a situation. So those are my 10 childhood traumas. That is really amazing. And it brought up a couple of questions. Um, So the last one that you mentioned, like uh, fast uh, trigger anger, fast trigger anger. Yeah. Is that, um, 
could that still apply if somebody um, were quick to anger, but they wouldn't show it? It's just, you yeah. know, just the emotion. That could be passive aggressive, which is also very difficult uh, personality mm -hmm. type. They may just shut down, which we call stonewalling, not talk okay. to you for a couple of hours or a couple of days to like punish you. Um, yeah, so that's a, a passive aggressive personality type. In my book, Love Beyond Your Dreams, I actually write about 14 personality types that can break your heart. And Passive aggressive, borderline, bipolar, sociopaths, narcissists, um, the chronic cheater, the Peter Pan man, the mother hater, they're, they're all in there. <laughs> yeah. And a chronic cheater could be somebody who actually um, either physically does something with a real life human being or, or engages in porn. Correct. Uh, okay. Porn is an addiction for sure. Um, and that comes from not feeling good enough. As mm -hmm. a, Let's say it's a man. It's usually men who engage in porn. Not feeling good enough, not measuring up, being teased and bullied as a young man. And then if they are acting out in real life and they're a chronic cheater, they're using the conquest to prove that they're good enough. Mm -hmm. so yeah. a man who chronically cheats in the real world and those brought into porn world or buying, you know, young women online is because they feel powerful. Now I happen to work mostly with successful, very successful women in business, but struggle in love. And they most often have men that end up with an affair with someone not as um, successful as them. Mm -hmm. Let's say you know, with a, a waitress or you know, a pet setter or something like that. And this woman may have a doctorate or a triple master's degree, you know, or excels in whatever work she's doing. And the man is more attracted to someone who's looking up to him mm -hmm. because she may be the powerhouse within the, within the home or the relationship. Or somebody that he needs to rescue because that makes him yes. feel powerful. Yeah. The hero syndrome. Um, very uh, ironic. Well, I don't know if it's ironic, but part of my studies found when I was in Atlantic City, I worked with most of the police departments. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of cheating going on there. And there is amongst our fire rescues. And they all came from childhood trauma. So they grew up wanting to be heroes and in control. Wow. Okay. So uh, you know, if anyone out there is dating police officers, firemen, and there's been power struggles in your relationship, this is usually why. They mm -hmm. are drawn to being, wanting to be heroes, stand out, um, or, you know, be, have some control over their life as an adult where they didn't have much as a child. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I have a friend who uh, worked in the police department and would not date anybody in the police department for those reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. So I was busy scribbling down notes. Um, so <laughs> it'd be nice if I could read my own notes. <laughs> um, so these traumas that people have, um, they affect the relationships. Do you find that, that if you've had a certain trauma, you gravitate towards somebody who also has that trauma? Yes, and the research shows that as well. People of trauma attract people of trauma. This is why one of the worst ways to fall in love is by chemistry. And in the U.S. especially, I can't vouch as, you know, growing up in any other country, but the way we were shown you fall in love is by fairy tales and nursery rhymes, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Sleeping Beauty, that you're asleep and this handsome prince comes and kisses you, you go off with him, you'll be happily ever after because there's chemistry. Wrong. The problem is, is that you are always attracted to what the psyche knows. 
So if your father was very strict and, and, and tough, you know, you might fall in love with this guy who seems charming and, and in control initially, but then he becomes your worst nightmare. And the research shows it usually happens four to nine months in. The first three to four months are the romance period. And these are fast, uh, passionate relationships. You know, they seem very charming and really give you a lot of attention, whether it's a lot of texts or emails, phone calls. They always want to be with you. And the woman's there, wow, I finally found the greatest guy. Well, then four to nine months in or right after a significant event. So that could be moving in, getting engaged or married or having a child. These people tend to like change 180 degrees. It's like, what happened? you know, to mm -hmm. the person that I thought I fell in love with. And this is what I call the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality type. And if you think back to the Broadway show or the movie, and if you haven't seen it for a long time, watch it again with this in mind, because it's totally talking about this. Okay. Is that Dr. Jekyll is very well known and respected in the community. He's a doctor. He's handsome. He's charming. He's polite to everyone. has this big house, you know, in the village. And everyone just thinks he's so fabulous. And that's what's so tricky about this, the social face of these people. You know, if you complain about them, you're like, well, what? You're crazy. He's wonderful. Well, that's what he shows to the world. And then Mr. Hyde, think about the name. It's the hidden personality type. Mm -hmm. Okay. So at night in the movie, he goes off and he ravishes, rapes women and then kills them, right? That's his hidden right. personality mm -hmm. type where the people we may fault for that have this type you know, has a totally different personality behind closed doors, either with you or has this totally secret life away from you. And that's the one that's usually most devastating because you think you have this fabulous person and, and, and relationship and then all of a sudden, you know, it, the mask comes off or he gets caught at something, which was in my case, mine was a principal of a school that got caught with porn on his computer and all hell broke loose. Um, and it's like, what you know because everything you have in your real world seems to be so wonderful and perfect and then this whole secret personality and it's like what makes them have a secret life and that's what i wanted to find out mm -hmm. and as he was crying and and, and running off because he couldn't face the community he ran out of town he goes i don't know what's wrong with me i sabotage everything that's important to me mm -hmm. and i said well i am going to find out what it is mm -hmm. and that was my mission and my purpose so um, that's how I uncovered this information. Well, how do you manage to have a relationship with somebody without having to go through like some sort of psychoanalyst, you know, psychoanalysis to figure out, you know, it almost seems like we ought to have them fill out all this paperwork and then have somebody analyze it before we even begin in the, in the first relationship Portions. Well, I don't call it analyzation, but my clients know exactly the top 24 questions they should ask on their first two to three dates. So you actually often on the first date, we know, yep, it's one and done. We, we have a nickname for it, one and done date. You know, on that first date, if there's something not coming together right. Mm -hmm. By the second date, if you're taking the second date, you know, you didn't hear any red flags on the first one. There's 36 red flags that are identified as well. Um, but these questions help identify to see if there are red flags and then has that person dealt with any childhood trauma? Being that 90% of us, according to the Kaiser research, 89.8% 80, mm -hmm. 
right. people have at least one to three of their adverse events, right? Right. Of theirs. Okay. So if that's 90% of us, there's something going on in most of us. So right. how do you know if it's healed? Well, for example, you know, uh, one of my clients was out on a date. Um, you know, they're about 60 years old and asked about mother and father. And he goes, well, my father dead, is dead. My mom, she's sitting in a nursing home. I can't wait till the day she's gone. And wow. the follow-up question is why? What's, what's happening? You know, and well, she, when I was growing up, she was a full-fledged alcoholic. She finally stopped drinking when I was 17, 18, about leaving the home. So she decides to quit then, right? So it's like, wow, have you forgiven her for this? <laughs> okay, you go one step further on the questions to see if there's forgiveness around the trauma. No, if I, don't, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't even visit her in the home. Now we know we got a mother hater on our hands. If she's right. a mother hater, he will never respect the woman he's with. He will fall in love. He will charm her. He will seduce her. Why? Because he's so starving to have the love that he never got from this woman. Mm -hmm. So he wants the love. He wants the female attention to feel good enough. So this is going to be one of those charmers that come on really fast and furious. That's also a red flag. And then, you know, um, there's no forgiveness there. So the anger still exists. The trauma is still there in his brain and his body. That's where trauma is stored. Right. So without doing anything to fix this, and this is what I do for my clients, my I'm mostly females, but I do have about 10% 10, 10 males, and I also have teenagers. But, you know, if they don't heal the trauma of what they've grown up with, they're going to continue to be angry adults and have dysfunctional relationships. Yeah, and if they also came from a family where, uh, where anger was not acceptable, any time they expressed their anger, they were rejected by their parent. So, therefore, that translates into anger being... Um, something that you want to avoid at all costs. And so anytime you feel it, you stuff it down. That's a passive aggressive. They weren't allowed to express their anger. So right. they didn't say anything. So these are the people as adults that won't have a conversation when they're upset. They'll just say nothing, nothing, nothing's wrong. And then at the littlest thing, they'll explode at something two or three days later, or they're also the ones that bring all the past infractions up. Well, you did this and you did this and you did this. And they're always blamers. I call no, that stockpiling. Yeah. They, they stockpile. It's like you yeah. got something wrong and they put it back here because I'm never going to forget that. And That's when it. I'm upset with you, I'm going to bring it up 20 years later. <laughs> so they never learned, you know, the process of forgiveness. Um, and this is funny because when I worked with the kids in schools, you know, I was a trauma counselor. So we talked about forgiveness and the art of negotiation and how do you negotiate so you both are heard. You know, I'm teaching kids who could grasp this. Mm -hmm. And I have to reparent and reteach the adults. The couples that come into me have to learn to have a, communi a, a good communication that's proactive, looking for solutions, not reactive, yelling and screaming at each other because that's what they were modeled. Right. So adult, now, I can go into some of the personality things that come out that also destroy relationships. Let's talk about lying, for example. You know, if you ever knew a man that chronically lies, it's like, why do you keep lying? You know, that was such a small thing. You don't even have to lie about it. Yes, why lie about it? Yeah. Why lie about it? Well, these are kids that their survival mechanism as a young man, let's say the very strict father, if he did the littlest thing wrong, he would be beat. As a teenager, he would be grounded and screamed at and probably, you know, thrown across the room. 
I've had kids that are locked in closets, not talked to for days or weeks. Um, so they will try to lie to not get the harsh punishment. Mm-hmm. And then they become so good at the lying, they become brilliant and they get away with it a lot of the time. So this is someone who is a habitual liar will lie about the littlest things. They used it as a kid, as a coping mechanism. Talk about jealousy. Okay, where's jealousy come from? Jealousy comes from trauma number seven, not feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, um, feeling different, um, not being able to get the boyfriend or the girlfriend when you were younger and always trying to prove yourself. Very often, women that were not giving compliments or not told I love you or had very strict parents and nothing was good enough or they grew up a little awkward, you know, they were always trying to prove, see, I'm good enough, see, see how good I can be. And what happens is they become very good students mm-hmm. and then they excel in business. But in love, that's that little girl where that still wasn't healed, that trauma of not feeling good enough, pretty enough, not fitting in, never told a good job or given compliments from mom and dad, mm-hmm. that one is the one that struggles in love. And that's where the dynamic happens. So is it possible to, do you still do couples work? Yes, I do. So mm-hmm. is it possible to have uh, two people who are just a total mess? <laughs> that- yes. They can work it out. Those are my clients. Uh, <laughs> the reason is because neither one addressed their childhood wounds, number one. So I'm treating three entities, partner A, partner B, and the couple. And I do work with gay and lesbian too. So, you know, that's why I say partners. Um, and I have to go into the first partner's childhood trauma individually and the other ones individually then I can really see why the dynamics are coming out now in their adult love relationship. Mm-hmm. Then I teach them to communicate differently because I teach them what each other's emotional trigger points are. You wow. know, one mm-hmm. says he never does anything for me. This was a child that nothing was done for her. And mm-hmm. he goes, believe me, I've worked with a lot of men. He goes way over and beyond. He cooks for her, cleans the house. I mean, he does 100% more than at most men that I meet. Okay, uh-huh. and she's still not seeing, but he doesn't do for me. He mm-hmm. doesn't arrange our dates. He should put them on the calendar. He used to be doing this, 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 and this. So she is like major stuck in control. Mm-hmm. And that's where control or micromanagement comes from, from a woman. And a woman, anytime she starts controlling her guy, she's going to push him away. She's going to make the male not feel good enough. So this could trigger his emotions, or even worse, I mean, the caveman brain and cave woman brain, we still have them. We call them the old brain or the reptilian brain. The caveman brain always wants to feel he can provide and take care of his woman and his family. It's just innate, right, or his partner. And the female brain is the nurturer. So, you know, when she goes to fall in love, her number one need is safety. No matter how successful in business she is, she still wants that partner she can count on and feel safe with extremely important for my my men to know and you know if she's whittling away at his ability to take care of he's not going to feel good enough and that's when he's going to go after you know the server who makes him feel like he's a king Mm -hmm. okay um and that's what happens so we have to get all those balances together and nobody is the same puzzle there's everybody presents to me a whole different situation it's a very individualized program 
because everyone's um, their traumas are different and their degree of traumas are different. You know, people ask me, where's the narcissist and sociopath come from? Mm-hmm. Well, the sociopath, you know, back when I was doing my research, 2011, one in 25 people are sociopathic, according to Mar- Martha South, the sociopath next door book. However, in today's research I'm doing, they're saying four to five in 25 are sociopathic and most are men. So for my dating women out there, we really need you to know what are the traits of the sociopath? What are you looking for to um, make sure you're not falling for that, that you're not going with chemistry, but you're dating with intelligence and awareness. We call it conscious awareness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I teach them both 50% life coaching, 50% love coaching. So the life coaching covers getting the trauma revealed in what you went through, healing the unconscious trauma and the emotional triggers when you're triggered by something, being very consciously aware about that and getting that out of the body and the brain, then dating with full awareness, conscious awareness, and, you know, asking the intelligent questions you need to really pick a good life partner. And taking your time and being okay with that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it, it's, it's really amazingly beautiful with how the people transform that I work with. I'm very blessed to be able to do this kind of work. And you do this long distance as well? Only long distance. Only long distance. <laughs> um, yeah, I work from my computer. I work from home. Um, you know, I do, do also teach to have the lifestyle that you desire Create the life you desire and have the love you deserve. That's my tagline. So I model that. You know, I work from home. I travel a lot. You know, I take weekends off. You know, I have time for me and my guys. So, you know, that is very important to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, if I had somebody locally and they really wanted to meet with me, as I, I would see them locally, but I don't even hold down an office anymore. Wonderful. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, Rihanna, where you need to take a break here and then everybody come back because I know she's got a whole bunch more really great things. Um, we could probably just talk for hours and hours. So hang on and we'll be right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And we've been having a great conversation with Rihanna Milne, who is a uh, certified clinical and trauma professional. She's 
And she's really got some amazing insights into why people do the things that they do. And, the, and I love your list of trauma um, experiences that people have. Does that have a particular name? The Childhood Trauma Checklist by Rihanna Milne. Okay. <laughs> nice and simple. Yeah. And, and it's, it really came from all my research that I did between 2011 and when I started putting my uh, course together. And now I'm writing book number eight on trauma. So I've written seven books. Um, and I want to go a little bit deeper on that one, on the trauma work that I'm doing. Mm, it sounds wonderful. So um, what happens if people don't heal their trauma? They, they figure this is a relationship that doesn't work, so we're just going to jettison that one and move into a new relationship. Yeah, a lot of people do that. You know, divorce numbers are close to 60% now, but the problem is they haven't gotten to the core issue of the reason they're attracting the wrong guys or mm -hmm. women. Um, so, you, you know, once you're going through a nasty divorce or starting to, that is the prime time to reach out to a coach like me because we've got to get that settled and straightened so you don't keep falling for the same type of person. Um, we call that same guy, different face. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's repetitive. By the time I usually get a client in my office, they've had three or four toxic relationships and they swear next time I'm going to do it different or I'll read like eight self-help books and I'll get it figured out and they don't and they mm -hmm. can't figure it out. And my research on this and, you know, my 150 page notebook where they fill that out and then send it back to me, it's interactive with my program. Um, when they write things to me, it's really evident of what's going on. It's, it's part bibliotherapy and writing therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, even on the introductory handout I give people if they want to meet with me, you know, I saw somebody writing all this stuff about their dad. And I said, do you realize you didn't write one sentence about your mother? And they're like, really? I said, yeah. So tell mm -hmm. me what's going on with mom. Well, she wasn't even really there for me. Right. But she wasn't there in the writing either. Right. You know, so I picked stuff up like that immediately. Mm -hmm. So as they're writing their worksheets, I see the, the patterns that seem to them so unconscious are not even there. Mm -hmm. I notice them and then we work around them. So everything becomes totally conscious and aware. And then when they're out dating, like I said, they're asking those questions of these people, you know, and have they healed or are they still angry? You know, if the, the person seems great, but they have a child that's struggling and maybe in a rehab, why is that? Mm -hmm. you know, what broke down in the family system that that child is still struggling today? And it is important, you know, that you, uh, before you go out there dating, that you have your life totally together. In all your life spheres, we call it the life wheel. We look at friendships, finances, family patterns with your own kids, um, your work. Are you happy with your work? That, everything. We look at everything. Mm -hmm. And then if it's anything's amiss, we get that straightened out. And then you go out dating with full happiness because you have to be a successful single first before you're a successful couple. Right. So the people who go from one relationship to another, sometimes without even bothering to finish one relationship before they enter the other relationship are probably the same toxic pattern. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> That's going to be fun for them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one, one of the, we were talking about the break, uh, some of the characteristics that show up. And there's one I wanted to mention, especially for women. This is very, very common in women, which we call people pleasing. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll give an example of this. Let's say the woman had an alcoholic mom who was very difficult to live with. So the daughter would get up early and clean the house, make sure she made her bed, get the other siblings ready, pack the lunches, you know, just to make sure like mom's not yelling and screaming at everyone and upsetting them before they go off to school. So she learns to overdo and people please or to even hear a compliment like thanks for helping out, hon, or something like that. She gets that little bit of crumb of love from mom. So this is what she carries into her adult love relationships. And then this, these women I hear later down the road say, well, I do everything for them. You know, everything from my husband and the kids, they don't appreciate anything. I show them all this love and I never get anything back, right? Mm-hmm. So because their boundaries are so askew because of what they had to grow up with. So people-pleasing tends to be very common within women, um, the, the jealousy and then the control piece because a lot of my business ladies do control on the job and it works there fine. Right. They have to have good sense of control, but as soon as they start controlling in their relationships, it starts tearing it apart. They're micromanaging the love piece. Eventually, the guy gets angry. He let either lashes out verbally or he goes to an affair because he's just doesn't feel like a man with her anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so these you are a, dy- dynamics. Yeah, if you get a passive aggressive with someone who has to control because that's the only way they can do that, then that sounds like that would be a, a rather charming experience. Yeah, that's part <laughs> of it. There's many different interactions, many. This is just a few of it. Impulsivity, making risky choices that destroy your relationship. That tends to be one. Uh, Someone who had a lot of childhood traumas growing up, it's like, okay, I suffered as a kid, but I deserve to have this. Uh I want this hot car. I don't care if I'm spending $40,000. I deserve to have this girl because she's coming on to me and my wife didn't treat me good today. So I deserve to go have her. You know, this impulsivity is always based in anger, not feeling good enough, uh, a sense of entitlement that narcissists have. Um, You know, the the buzzwords today is, oh, I'm with a narcissist, I'm with a narcissist. I said, probably more commonly, you're with a sociopath. And I'll tell you in 15 minutes if you're with a sociopath. A sociopath uses someone for pleasure or profit. Mm -hmm. They either use you for money. If you're a successful woman, that's one of the big patterns I see or for pleasure. Mm-hmm. So they're using you uh, for the lifestyle, for the money, um, you know, or they'll use a young girl for the pleasure and, you know, have two relationships, the marriage and the young girlfriend on the side and figure he's entitled to both. Wow. It sounds almost like it's, it's, it's a frightening thing to try to even have a relationship at all. I know, knowledge is that, but knowledge is power, right? So when you're out there, it's so much better to have the knowledge that I can teach you to feel confident when you're dating. And it's easy to say yes or no, because you've got all this now. I don't want to say the rules, but you've got all the knowledge (laughs) of what make a great partner. I call it an emotionally healthy, evolved, and conscious partner. So evolved means being your highest and your best self. So if you're living in integrity and with values and doing the right thing, that's the same type of person you're looking for. And they, my ladies get so strong. They don't even care how cute that person is. They just walk right away. It's like, nope, next. You know? Yeah, well, that's, that's great. Um, it's about the looks. It's about who's, what's the heart and the soul on the inside of this individual. 
What does a healthy relationship look like? You've got five things. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot. That's section four of my love book. Um, so there's a few things that I have that I, I help teach my couples. One is this triangle of you, me, and us. So that woman in the relationship that's always giving to everyone else, her side of her triangle was very small to non-existent. Mm -hmm. So I have to rebalance. I have to get her joy in life. So whether that's a tennis class or yoga class or once every two week out, you know, weeks out with her girlfriends, um, what does that look like for her? Mm -hmm. We've got to rebalance those triangles um, and you know, making sure there's enough date time. Too many parents put their kids first, their athletics, driving them here, driving them there. And then it's like, where's your date night? Mm -hmm. I asked, when was your last date night? When the eyes go up to the ceiling because they have to think about it, I said, okay, that's too long. Uh -huh. you know, that's too long. And this should be once a week or twice a week, easily. I mean, ideal, it's twice a week. So um, that you, me, and us, we have to look at the balance triangle. Second is this concept I teach them. It's you and me against the world. And you have to put each other first, not your friends, not go out with a group of friends, not your kids. People say, well, the kids need to come first. Wrong. If you don't, if you keep putting each other last, your marriage is going to fall apart the moment the kids go off to college. Mm -hmm. Somebody's out of that house. Very often the man's there, I'm done. Um, so you've got to put your partner and your time with your partner first to keep the family intact. And then the kids are happy. Um, so you have to look at that. Your top five to six requirements are met. Now, these requirements are things that are really important to you, and they can be silly or they can be extremely important. Let's say um, monogamy. You want a partner that's completely faithful to you. No questions asked. If they cheat, you're gone. Okay, that's a requirement. A requirement could also be something like you must love to dance. Now, you know me, Michelle. We were in the same organization together. You know I love to dance. It makes me feel happy. I used to compete in disco. I was quite good at disco dance. So if I was with someone just sat on his chair and says, well, I don't want to dance, I would be missing a lot of joy in life. So that's a requirement for me. For other people, I had a client says, must love dogs. If they don't love dogs, forget about it. I have two of them, and they must love my dogs because those are my kids. Okay, so whatever your requirements are, you need those to be met. And each person would have probably seven to nine, you know, but I think honesty, integrity, which I describe as doing the right things when nobody's looking, trustworthiness, without trust, you have no relationship. You know, so there's some internal qualities that are really important and then exter external like dogs and dancing, which might seem trivial, but certainly important to lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. so right. We define those for people and they, they must be met for you to be happy. Then there's emotional and functional needs. And emotional needs is the amount of affection that you like. You're someone that likes to hold hands and a little bit of PDA when you're out, that your partner shows you that he loves you, then that's awesome. If you need that, is there, well, we're out. I don't know. I don't want to be holding your hand. That's stupid. That's juvenile. You know, that's going to be a problem because your emotional love needs aren't met. Then we have functional needs. That means how to make your life function well. So let's say you just like a nice, organized, neat home. But he won't do anything to pick up his towel, do his laundry, help with the cooking, help with the cleaning. And you feel like you're doing it all and you're also a businesswoman and a mom and trying to handle it. And if this person comes home 
Whereas my dinner and sits on the couch the rest of the night, your functional needs are not being met and you're not going to be happy for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's another one. Uh, the mutual enjoyment, making sure you have enough in common before you even get intimately involved. Too many women are jumping to intimacy thinking that's the answer. That's how they'll get a man. It's the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. You do everything else before that piece. And if the guy's not going to be patient, guess what? You got your answer. Mm -hmm. You know what he's after and he's not for you. Next. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it becomes very simple when, when you coach with me. You make it very clear. And then the next one is you make sure you have a very shared vision of your future. You know where your vision is. You know, we set that up for you in your life, in your life, desired life, what you want. And then they also have probably their lifestyle that they want. And do they mesh? And if they don't mesh, you don't even try to get together. Like, what's the point? You can be mm -hmm. friends, but, you know, why, why try to put it into an intimacy thing? For example, you know, when I was dating in New Jersey, it's like, well, I am moving to Florida. Oh, no, if you date me, you'll see, you know, you'll want to stay here. And it's like, you didn't hear me. I am moving to Florida because that's where I want to retire. I want to be in paradise every day where it's sunny and I have flowers all year round. Yes, that's what I'm doing. So being that that person was staying up there and I knew I was going to be down there, why even try, you know? <laughs> so you have to really be firm on what the creative lifestyle is that you want. I love world travel. If someone says, I'm scared to death to get on an airplane, that's well, not the perfect for me, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we, we work through all of those things to make it quite simple to identify. Wow. This has been absolutely the most amazing time to visit with you, Rihanna. How can people reach you? Uh, best way is through my website. It's my name, RihannaMilne.com. If you're listening, R-I-A-N-A-M-I-L-N-E.com. And on there, you can get free chapter downloads of both Live and Love Beyond Your Dream. They are meant to go together. One's about life, one's about love. Mm -hmm. You can also take free love tests on there. And if you'd like to meet with me to discuss your concerns about what you heard today, the childhood trauma checklist and any traumas you've gone through, it's normally a $500 value, only for $47. You can sign up right there on my website to get a life and love discovery session. Wow. So if that's the case, I look forward to meeting with you. We meet quickly and easily by Skype up to one hour, and mm -hmm. I will uncover what's going on for you and what your next best move would be. That's awesome and incredibly generous. Thank you very much, Rihanna. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you for being on our show. Well, thank you. I want to remind everyone, it is time now to have the life you desire and the love that you deserve. Don't wait. Oh, I agree. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com.
This is the EWN Podcast Network.